about four years ago, I had the privilege of teaching a couple of classes at the college and, um, in the fall. And uh, the, uh, I taught half the semester one class. Cindy and I taught a second half the semester of another class. And we uh, had enjoyed so much getting to know some of the students as the classes. And uh, Will Bruno was one of the students who actually took both classes. I'm not sure he knew what he was getting himself into. But he, he was there, and we had an opportunity to get to know him more. And in the past four years, we have had more interactions with each other. And this semester, he has been serving as our intern here, a pastoral ministry intern. And it's been a great experience for us, hopefully for him. And as we thought about this day and recognizing our uh, college seniors, we thought it would be appropriate to have Will preach this morning. And so uh, he's going to do just that. And I know that... Uh, God's going to use what he says to speak into our hearts. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Pastor Russ. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. As uh, Pastor Wes mentioned, my name is Will, and I've been the pastoral intern at the church here this semester. Um, I just want to take a moment to thank all of you who have been so welcoming to me uh, this semester and over the course of the four years that I've been here. Um, special thanks especially to Pastor Wes and the, Pastor Paul and the rest of the team here. Um, it's just been such a, a privilege to be here and to be serving. And uh, so many of you who have reached out to me and prayed for me, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Well, uh, as I said to Pastor Wes this morning uh, before I got up, I said, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing giving a guy with two weeks left a microphone. You know, you never know what I have to say. Nothing to lose. So um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real joy to be here with you. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship, to gather together as the body of Christ. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us today, Lord. Lord, that the words that I speak would be your words and that I would decrease as you increase, Father. I pray that you would be glorified, and that your Holy Spirit would be evident and present here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever risked something? Risk is a pretty important part of life. If you're here and you're breathing, you've probably risked something at some point in your life. But um, I was reflecting upon this past summer. Uh, in August, my brother Dave, who some of you might remember, graduated in 2015 from Houghton. Uh, he uh, decided it was time to propose to his then-girlfriend, Stephanie Ford, who also graduated from here in 2015. And um, he decided that he wanted to do this in Buffalo. So I went with him uh, up to Buffalo. That's where Steph was. And uh, my job for the, the whole ordeal was Dave and I did a, a dry run, a walkthrough beforehand, so uh, wanted to minimize all mistakes, you know. That's, um, so he wanted to propose out on the end of a pier in Buffalo. So we, it was a two-mile pier, so we walked out. Uh, yes, I love my brother a lot. I walked out four miles there and back, um, and we, we set up kind of the area where at the end of the pier where he was going to propose. We wrapped some battery-powered lights around it and uh, made it look all nice and um, so then my job for the, for the actual, the real thing, was to climb down kind of underneath the, the end of the pier among like these rocks and like wedge myself in 
And uh, there were like spiders and cobwebs and stuff like that. And Dr. Gertie, who was here at the last service, he told me, he was like, you know there are rats there too, right? I was like, I'm glad I did not know that at the time. No. Uh, so, and then I was there and I had uh, a camera to document it. And then I had a GoPro video recorder strapped to my forehead too to get it there. And uh, anyone who came out to the end of the pier beforehand, I would kind of climb up like this probably really weird looking guy with all these cameras and say, would you mind please moving along? My brother's about to propose to his girlfriend. So it kept the area clear. (laughs) Um, Most of the people were pretty accommodating. There were a few that were like, I just walked two miles out here. Are you kidding me? No, but, (laughs) um, but it worked out. When my brother finally got to the end of the pier with Stephanie, as you might expect, he, um, he, had a, he had a question for her. On Tuesday, October 29, 1929, America watched as Wall Street investors traded 16 million shares of stock in a single day on the New York Stock Exchange. Billions of dollars were lost as thousands of investors lost everything they had in a day that would later become known as Black Tuesday. This probably more than any other single event launched America and the Western industrialized world into what would later be called the Great Depression. As I just said a couple of minutes ago, this is my last semester at Houghton, and um, I'm graduating in just under two weeks, and then I'll be leaving. Now, what's incredible to me is that all of you and Pastor Wes and the whole team knew that I would be leaving from day one, yet you still chose to invest in me and who I am, which I am very grateful for. You know, any parent in the room knows this is true as well with your children. You, you really have to be kind of a little bit crazy to be a, a parent, I think. That's what I've come to the conclusion of, because you willingly sign up when you have a child for at least 20 years, usually, of pouring into this child or children with the, the plan from the beginning being that they are one day going to leave. It's remarkable that anybody wants to be a parent, but I guess I'm thankful somebody wanted to be a parent for me. So um, in this passage that we just read, Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about three servants. The one had the five bags of gold, the one the two, the one the one. Um, some translations translate it uh, talents or Bags of gold, it's the same idea. Now, what's remarkable in this story to me is that the master entrusts any money to the servants at all. Uh, This this man, we can assume, was a a fairly successful businessman or whatever trade he was at. He had made quite a good deal of wealth. And the fact that he would give it to servants at all to do anything they wanted with is remarkable to me because I don't think that's the type of thing that I would do. Um, now, maybe if they were, you know, the Warren Buffetts of their day or the great financial wizards or something, you could maybe see that he might do that. But from what we can gather from the passage, it doesn't seem like these servants are anything particularly remarkable. You know, these guys might have been out picking carrots the day before in the garden. We don't know. But they, they seem like they're pr- pretty much just average Joes. And then not only does the master entrust his money to them, which you could kind of see, maybe he's trying to offload some of his work, he probably has a lot of responsibility. But I would at least then watch the servants to make sure that they're investing the way that I wanted them to. But the master doesn't do that. 
He gives them the money, and then he leaves on his journey. Now, in this parable, Jesus, of course, is the master. Uh, The servants are his audience, or you and me. And the bags of money aren't money, but anything else that we have as well. When the master returns from his journey, he is grateful for the two servants, tells them, well done, good and faithful servants, but his words to the last one are pretty harsh. I'll admit, when I was thinking about this, I was like, Jesus, our master, shouldn't you be uh, at least happy that, like, you know, you just doubled your investments on the five and the two? At least this guy didn't lose anything, you know? Like, it'd be one thing if he came back and said, oh, by the way, I, uh, you know, I went to Vegas and you're a million dollars in debt now, but at least he kept your money that you had originally. Shouldn't you at least say, better luck next time? It even seems like maybe Jesus is being just a little bit greedy by wanting more out of this servant. And then the more I was thinking about it, the, the more I've thought in the past with this passage is, I think Jesus is speaking to people that want to be followers of him. And I've thought, well, I hope I'm not burying my money. What if I am? How do I know? And what if I get thrown out into the darkness with gnashing of teeth? That doesn't sound very nice. So, the more I reflected upon this, though, the more I've thought, I think that comes from a warped view of God and a misunderstanding of who he is, just like the servant had. See, the servant feared God, which is a good thing. We're commanded to fear God. You know, Proverbs says the the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. But this is a wrong type of fear. This is a type of fear that causes them to be petrified and immobilized. You know, I was, uh, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about, I don't know how many of you have read the book Swiss Family Robinson or seen the movie. The book's better. But um, when I was a child, uh, I read the book or my parents read it to me. And one thing I've always stuck out to me is there's this one story in it where um, the, the family's going hunting. And they come upon this deer in the forest. And the the thing that's strange about this encounter is, you know, as, as they're hunting this animal, the deer just stays completely still, which they think is kind of odd, but they, they kill it, and they're, you know, happy for the venison or whatever. And it wasn't until after they went to the deer that they finally looked up, and they realized that the reason the deer was so petrified with terror was because there was a giant snake right above it. Now, I'm not saying that the Swiss Family Robinson is the inspired word of God or anything like that, But I do find it kind of ironic that the thing that petrified the deer fear was a snake. And, of course, that made me think of the the devil. And the devil is the father of lies, as we know. And not only does he lie, but he warps truth that is the truth about who God is. And he warps our view of a fear of God that is healthy and a fear of God that produces worship and awe and reverence of who God is and warps it into a fear of the presence of God, a fear of being in relationship with him. And I think that's what this servant was fearing. It was the wrong type of fear. I was was out in Colorado about a week ago for a conference and uh, it was a lot of meetings. But while I was out there, I, I got the opportunity to sneak away for an afternoon and Um, visit Rocky Mountain National Park. And I don't know uh, if any of you have ever been out there, but it's absolutely breathtaking. The views are gorgeous, and 
um, you know, the mountains. And as I, I started driving up and started down kind of in the valley and then went up and national parks seem like they always have roads on the edge of a windy cliff, like that's just par for the course with them with no guardrail. So as I was kind of climbing up the mountain, it was all sunny and nice down below. And then as I got higher, it started to snow and then a cloud came in and then it just whited out completely and I couldn't see more than just a few people around me. Couldn't see the valley, the other mountains. And this sparked in me just like this awe of the might and power of who God is. And I think that's the healthy kind of fear that leads us to worship that God wants us to have. You know, in this passage, rather than fearing the master's return, I believe what the servant should have done was seen the love that the master had for him by giving him any money to to do with what he wanted. The servant should have been inspired by that love and passed along the gift that he had been given to others. That's essentially what investment is at its core, isn't it? Where we give what we already have in the expectation and the hope that it will produce greater returns in the end. It's a letting go, if you will, and a trust. I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we can be a lot like the servant. We worry and fear about trusting and loving others because relationships can be messy. You as a church have loved me and invested in me this semester and over the course of the four years that I've been here. And as parents, you invest in your children. And I've asked myself, why is that? And I think it's because you believe that there is potential in us. And you believe that there is something worth investing in because it will produce greater returns in the end because you love. And I think that's exactly the same kind of love that God has for us. You know, even though we are exactly the type of people that crucified Christ on the cross, the churchgoers, the synagogue goers, the, the religious elites of this day. Those are the people that killed him, yet Christ came for us and loved with a crazy type of investment. You know, when Dave proposed to Stephanie on that day on the pier, he was pretty nervous, as I can imagine anyone who's be in that situation would be. And he was nervous because he proposed exactly five, days, five years to the day since he had met Stephanie on a visit day here at Houghton. And over those five years, he had invested time and effort and energy, and he had poured himself into that relationship. And he had tried through everything he had done to show her that he loved her. And it got to the point where he realized that he had done everything he could to show her that he cared for her, except there was one thing he still could do. He could offer himself completely to her. And that's what he did. And, you know, to truly love someone, though, you have, there's a risk that's involved. You have to give them the option of saying no. Otherwise, it really wouldn't be love. You have to give them the option of rejecting that. And that's why it's scary, because after all that time and investment, when you still have the option of being rejected, that is a scary thing. Now, thankfully, Stephanie did what he... Uh, was hoping for and reciprocated those feelings and had the reaction of, you know, you've given me everything of who you are and what can I do but give you everything of who I am in response. 
I think that's exactly what Christ does for us and the reaction that he wants. He's already made the sacrifice. He's already bought the ring and thrown away the receipt, if you will. And he wants us to give all of who we are fully back to him. You know, there's something inside, I think, each of us that knows that we were made to risk. We have this innate urge in who we are because we're made in the image of God. Why else do people do things like skydiving and bungee jumping, you know? I mean, it really doesn't serve any point, but we have this urge inside each of us to take risks in that way. Maybe a misguided way to risk. I don't, I'm not going to comment on that. But uh, I think what Christ really requires of us is that we risk in passing on the gifts that he's given us to others. We risk getting into relationships that could backfire on us with others. We see, see, the reason I think that Jesus or the master in this story was so angry with the servant is not because he didn't get more money or stuff. Christ doesn't care about money or things. He cares about your heart and my heart. He's a relational God that wants to know each of us and enter into relationship. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence where this passage in Matthew is placed. It's placed directly before a passage about the final judgment. If we, uh, if we read passage in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The kingdom, I believe, in this passage is being described of the, these types of people, these people that are functioning on a new way of doing things. See, if you read later on in the passage, those who were, were you know, feeding the, the hungry and visiting the sick, they don't think that they were doing anything that unusual. They say, Lord, when did we ever see you like this? And the reason they don't know is because at the core of who they are, at the very heart level, they've had a fundamental transition, a change, a heart transplant of who they are, and they're no longer functioning on the principles of this world, but they're already living in a kingdom come kind of way. They're already, they've traded the economy of this world for one that doesn't see things as our own, but we pass on to others what we've already been given. So I don't really think that Jesus, or the master, was being particularly harsh to this one servant. I think really what he was doing is saying, you don't want to function this way on earth, of passing what you've been given on to others. Why would you want to function that way for all of eternity? I'm just, you're going to get what you want. And if you want to be selfish, you can be that. But it's away from the presence of God. So I think really what the master did was just turn him over to the desires that were already in his heart. I can imagine Jesus being like, I'm going to go to the cross and die for you. And you're going to bury that gift? How selfish do you have to be not to pass that on? And the servant goes to the place where his own desires brought him, and that is away from God. Because in the kingdom economy, we receive and then we pass on, and that's the way we do things. And this includes the gospel of Christ, the gospel of salvation that we've been given, and we give that on to others. You know, in the passage that I just read immediately following this parable, um, Jesus mentions a 
few specific types of people. And if you're anything like me, I always appreciate it when there's a list that I can get my hands on in the Bible. Now, I, I don't think that this is an exhaustive list, and I don't think that this is a, a, you know, a checklist that we have to get all the boxes to, to go into some sort of legalism. But I do appreciate when there is something like this that we can hold on to. And he talks about hungry and thirsty people. Thankfully, this church has a great food pantry. You can get involved with that. Talks about welcoming strangers. Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience that there are a lot of students up at the college and the academy who a lot of times are very lonely. And although some of them may seem normal, a lot of them are stranger than you might think. So they fit this idea of strangers pretty well. They would, I'm sure, appreciate so much being invited over to your home for a meal or something like that. And it also talks about visiting the sick. Pastor Paul, every week, goes to the the Absolute Care um, nursing home up the street. I'm sure he would appreciate uh, some company with that. And uh, talks about visiting those in prison. Um, Dan and Kathy Moore cut up the, uh, the jail ministry here. Now, I don't say these things to guilt trip anyone, but only to show that we are truly blessed to be living in a type of church that has the opportunity to pass the gifts we've been given on in such unique ways. I think when Christ has invested in us, what else can we do? The relationships are hard and risky, but the same God who knows when any sparrow in the field falls and clothes the lilies, he died for you and for me, and he knows us. And he will look after us. I think he can handle us putting ourselves out and risking in relationship. Everybody turn to the person next to you and say, you listening to this? You need to hear this. This is good. <laughs> now turn to the person that you didn't like as much on the other side of you and tell them that. <laughs> on Black Tuesday, 1929, when the stock market crashed, a lot of people panicked and started losing faith. They started losing faith in the system and in each other. They started losing faith in investing. And they started pulling their money out of the banks and putting it under their mattress. They did this because they had been burned once and they weren't going to be burned again. This was the spark of the Great Depression. However, the Great Depression didn't last forever. On December 7, 1941, a day that will be remembered in infamy, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on a surprise attack. The people of the nation felt sick and in their gut... They worried because they didn't know the future, and America was launched into a state of all-out war against the Axis powers. On June 6, 1944, Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy in the greatest nautical invasion that the world has ever seen as they pushed back the Axis powers and started the liberation of Europe. Maybe you've experienced or are now in the midst of your own Black Tuesday moment. Maybe there's been a relational investment in your life a coworker, a friend, a spouse, even the church. Maybe you even feel like your relationship with God has crashed in your face. These feelings are real, and they can even send us into our own season of Great Depression. But Black Tuesday wasn't the first time that an investment had crashed. I don't know if it was for sure. I would like to think, though, that 
Genesis chapter 3 happened on a Tuesday. See, the God of the universe made the greatest investment that you could ever think. He made the greatest risk when he created humanity in his own image. And then he walked with us and talked with us and poured himself out for us. But he loved us enough to give us that choice. And then in chapter 3, we made the conscious choice to turn our back on him. And that relationship looked like it blew up in his face. And then on Good Friday, we see the devil had his own day of infamy, as for a moment he looked like he had the victory. But on Easter, Christ rose again, and he had his D-Day. And although there's still a fight going on, and sometimes you may feel that the Great Depression of your own life is going now, and that you may feel like there's a war going on, and it's a struggle each and every day just to get out of bed. Let me affirm you in that. There is a war going on. See, because in between the time between D-Day and V-Day, people still got hurt. People still got killed. But we knew from that moment on that the victory was already won. And we know since Easter, which we just celebrated, that Christ already has the victory. And we know how this is going to end. The good news of Christ is that no matter what investments you have that have crashed in your life up to this point when relationally with other people, you don't have to bury your gifts under the mattress. God risked everything for a stiff-necked people like us, the kind of investment that doesn't make any sense in the natural eyes. But he did it so that we would no longer be separate from him. So when he hung there on the tree, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, so that you and I may cry out, my father, my father, and enter into relationship with him. This isn't a God to be fearfully immobilized by. This is a God that loves with an insane kind of love, and he asks that we risk the same way he does for us. He offers us the chance to trade a life lived on Black Tuesday principles for one that's altered into living off of Good Friday principles. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the amazing gift of yourself, of risking to create humanity, and then making that investment to come rescue us, Father. We thank you for the gift of allowing us to enter into your way of doing things on this earth now, Father. We pray that your kingdom come and your will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We thank you and we praise you. pray that you would go with us this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.